0: chapter 27 of asphodel this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org asphodel by mary elizabeth braddon chapter 27 i may not don as every ploughman may our chambermaid brought daphne a letter at half-past six o'clock next morning she had fallen asleep in the summer sunlight after a night of almost utter sleeplessness the warm air blowing in upon her across the hills on the opposite side of the river the noises of the early awakened town floating up from the valley below she started from her pillow scared and agitated at the sound of the chambermaid's knock and took the letter with a trembling hand gerald's writing she knew it too well yet this was the first letter he had ever addressed to her how dare he write to me she exclaimed angrily as she tore open the envelope the letter began with no fond words of endearment the writer dashed at his meaning with passionate directness with feeling too intense to be eloquent tell me what i am to do after last night my future and my life are in your hands both belong to you if you will have them shall i break the truth to Lena? shall i tell her how little by little in spite of myself my heart has been beguiled away from that calm affection which was once all-sufficient for the joy of life how a new and passionate love has replaced the old and that although i shall honour respect and admire her as the first and best of women till the end of my days i am no longer i never can be again her lover i think daphne that the hard outspoken brutal truth may be the wisest and best let us look fate in the face neither you nor i can ever be happy asunder will the sacrifice of my happiness secure answer me from your heart of hearts my beloved as you answered me on the bridge last night there was not an instant's doubt in daphne's mind as to how this letter must be answered Lena's happiness sacrificed to hers Lena, so good so pure-minded in all things so much above her to be made miserable in order that she might triumph in a successful treachery i don't think the most virtuous person in the world could loathe me worse than i should loathe myself if i were to do this thing she said to herself resolutely she sat down by the open window wrapped in her loose white dressing-gown her soft golden hair falling over her shoulders like a veil her cheeks pale her eyes heavy an image of youthful sorrow not for this wide world she wrote answering general goring's question as directly as he had asked it not to be completely and unspeakably happy would i rob my sister of her happiness not if it could be done without making me a monster of ingratitude the most treacherous and despicable of women all you and i have to do is to forget our folly of last night and to be true each of us to the promises we have made you would be indeed a loser condemned to pay a life-long penalty for your foolishness if you could barter such a flower as Madeline for such a weed as me be true to her and you will find your reward in that truth do you know how good she is how priceless in her purity and love and could you let her go for my sake for a creature who is compounded of faults and inconsistencies caprices self-will a creature with no more soul than undine remember how long she has loved you think how much she is above you in the beauty of her character how fitted she is to make your home happy your life nobler and better than it could ever be without her why if in some moment of madness you were to surrender her love your life to come would be one long regret for having lost her forget as i shall forget be true as i will be true heaven helping me and let me write myself without a blush and this my first and perhaps my last letter to you your sister daphne her eyes were streaming with tears as she wrote every word came from her heart there was no duplicity of thought no lurking hope that gerald might refuse to be ruled by her she wrote to him faithfully honestly resolutely her heart and mind exalted by her intense love of her sister and when the letter was sealed and given to the chambermaid who must have wondered a little at this outbreak of letter-writing before breakfast as a new development in the british tourist she stole softly to the door leading into madeline's room and opened it as noiselessly as she could Lena was still asleep the calm beautiful face turned towards the sunlight the long dark lashes dropping on the oval cheek the lips faintly parted daphne crept to the bedside and sat down beside her sister's pillow Lena awoke and looked up at her my pet have you been here long is it late she asked late for you love about half-past seven i've only this moment come in how white and haggard you look said Lena anxiously have you had a bad night i did not sleep particularly well i seldom can in a strange place daphne i am afraid you are ill or unhappy there was something in your manner last night that alarmed me i am not ill and i have not felt so happy for a long time as i feel this morning why dearest because i have been making good resolutions and i mean to act upon them would it be too much to ask what they are oh a general determination to be very obedient to you and very respectful to my father and very tolerant of edgar's stupidities and all that kind of thing don't you know my darling i can't bear to hear you talk of edgar like that he is so thoroughly good yes sighed daphne with an air of resignation if there were only a little rift in his goodness i should get on with him so much better it is dreadful to have to deal with a man whose excellence is always putting one to shame i think you could be easily worthy of him no i couldn't and if i could i wouldn't and now i must run away and dress for i want to explore those hills across the river before breakfast she looked bright and fresh and full of youthful energy an hour afterwards when she went down to the sitting-room where edgar was loafing about wearily longing for her to appear her neat tailor gown of darkest olive cashmere and coquettish little olive-green toque set off the pearly tints of her complexion and the brightness of her loosely coiled hair she came into the room buttoning a long swedish glove the turned back sleeve showing the round white arm what a fetching get-up said edgar who was apt to embellish his speech with those flowers of slang which are in everybody's mouth but what is the use of those long gloves tucked away under the sleeve of your gown no use answered daphne but they're fashionable i want you to come and ramble on that hill over there before breakfast do you mind mind cried edgar you know i am always delighted to walk with you but i say daphne what was the matter with you last night you were so cross i know i was but i am never going to be cross again i am going to turn over a new leaf i have been wild and wilful but i am not wilful now you are always the dearest and best of girls answered edgar fatuously they passed gerald goring on the stairs daphne gave him a friendly nod just the easiest salutation possible but her cheek paled as she went by and her reply to edgar's next observation was somewhat wide of the mark he talked Bydecker to her as they went across the bridge and he talked Bydecker about the watch-towers and still again Bydecker. when in the course of their wanderings they came to a chapel on a height from whence there was a lovely view exquisitely beautiful in the clear calm summer morning they roamed about together till it was time to go back to the ten o'clock breakfast by which hour sir vernon had resigned himself to the ordeal of facing his family after breakfast there came more sightseeing sir vernon having decided upon going on to burn by a late afternoon train so they all set out together in a roomy landau to explore the town and neighborhood they went into the arsenal where a funny old man in a blue blouse showed them ancient and modern gunnery they saw the venerable lime-tree which stands in front of the town hall and the Rath house propped up with wood and stone a tree which according to tradition was originally a twig borne by a young native of freiburg when he arrived in the town breathless from loss of blood to bring the news of the victory of morat victory he gasped and died gerald more than usually cynical this morning declined to believe in either the twig or the heroic messenger i always shut my mind against all these romantic stories upon principle he said languidly the outcome of all modern research mr brewer and all the rest of it is to prove that none of these delightful traditions has a germ of truth in it it saves a great deal of trouble to begin by disbelieving them they went about the town in rather a dawdling desultory way looking at the fronts of old houses at the queer little shops and finally paused before the church of st nicholas which they had seen so dimly last night edgar insisted upon going in but daphne would go no farther than the doorway where she looked respectfully at the bas-reliefs which she was told to admire i saw quite enough of it last night she said when edgar urged her to go in and explore the interior why daphne it was too dark for you to see anything all churches are alike she answered impatiently please don't worry sir vernon who happened to be within earshot looked at his daughter curiously wondering at this development of modern manners could a pearly delicacy of complexion luminous eyes of that dark grey which is almost violet and bright gold hair quite make amends for this utter want of courtesy but edgar appeared perfectly content to be so treated and it was edgar who was most concerned in the matter they dawdled away a long morning seeing the town and driving about the somewhat pastoral landscape which surrounds it lunched late and started at five o'clock for berne where they arrived at the Hof in time for a late dinner daphne grumbled a little on the way protesting against the landscape between Freiburg and berne as a relapse into english pastoral scenery what do i want with meadows and orchards and cottages she exclaimed i can see those in england if it were not for the cows living on the ground floor and the fodder being carried up to the roof by those queer slanting covered ways there wouldn't be a shade of difference between the houses here and those at home except that these are ever so much dirtier you ought to have come a few million years ago when switzerland was a glacial chaos said gerald the Berner Hof pleased sir vernon by its spaciousness and air of english comfort but it impressed daphne as an hotel which would have been more in keeping with liverpool or manchester i had quite made up my mind that in switzerland we should stop at wooden chalets perched upon mountain ledges with an impending avalanche always in view and the des vaches sounding in the distance all day long there are such hostelries answered gerald but i think if you found yourself at one of them you would be rather inclined to wish yourself at the bernerhof or the beau rivage next day was the first tuesday in the month and the occasion of the monthly market a grand assemblage of small dealers from the adjacent country they all went out directly after breakfast and proceeded straight to the noble central street a mile in length which under various names pierces the town in a straight unbroken line from one end to the other very old and quaint are the houses in this long street many of them built over arcades under which the foot-passengers walk and within whose arches the market-people set out their stalls the drapery stalls gay with many-coloured handkerchiefs fluttering in the summer air the jewellers stalls all twinkling and flashing with that silver trinketry which is a national institution chains of endless length necklaces earrings bracelets glittering in the sun stalls loaded with fruits and vegetables stalls of gaudy colored pottery jugs and jars of queerest quaintest shapes and up and down the stony street cows and oxen being led perpetually meek submissive gentle beautiful in an endless procession while every here and there under a countryman's cart the patient dogs of burden lay at rest placid but watchful faithful guardians of the master's property it was a scene of picturesque and national life which pleased daphne immensely she had never seen such a market before never seen so long a street except the monotonous length of a parisian boulevard as she was being jolted along in a fly from station to station here she saw the people in their national costume here switzerland seemed really swiss she flew from stall to stall admiring selecting bargaining wanting to buy a barrelful of red and orange pots and pans they would look so lovely in the corridor at south hill on high brackets she said i am afraid the brackets would have to be very high answered Lena, smiling at her i suppose you mean that for a sneer retorted daphne but if mr burne jones or mr rossetti or mr morse were to say those pots and pans were the right thing there would be an eruption of them over the walls of every fashionable room in england i consider them positively lovely and as for the silver chains i shall never live without one round my neck come and make your selection said edgar pointing to one of the biggest and grandest stalls in the open place near the famous clock tower where the cock was to crow and the figure of grim old time was to turn his glass and all manner of wonderful things were to happen just before the striking of the hour this stall showed the best array of silver trinketry which they had seen yet and the country people were clustered about it gazing at the bright new silver and a good deal at golden-haired daphne in her creamy indian silk gown a radiant figure under a creamy silk umbrella choose the prettiest daphne and wear it for my sake said edgar with his portly leather purse in his hand an english pigeon offering himself up to be plucked combien he asked rather proud of his readiness with a foreign language pointing to the handsomest of the chains a cluster of many slender chainlets about three yards long ouvielle asked daphne with a compassionate glance at her affianced "'It is ver sheep,' answered the vendor, showing a disgusting familiarity with the English tongue. "'Gut und sheep, ser ver prutif un pound englis?' Five pounds,' screamed Daphne. "'Why, I thought it would be about five shillings. Pray come away, Mr. Turchill. They see we are English.' she turned from the stall indignantly and marched across to look at the fountain where the gigantic figure of an ogre in the act of dropping a child into the yawning cavern of his jaws stands out against the tall white houses balconied like a bit of parisian boulevard made picturesque by a dash of swiss quaintness the vegetables in the pottery stalls and the fluttering cotton handkerchiefs were grouped all about the fountain a confusion of vivid color that is something like a statue cried daphne looking up unblinkingly at the giant grinning at her through a warm hazy atmosphere a dear old thing which recalls the fairy tales of one's childhood instead of a stupid old anglo-indian general whom nobody ever heard of riding a tame old horse why don't we have kindly fressers and other fairy-tale statues in the london streets they would make london ever so much livelier Here Edgar came after her, carrying a small box, neatly papered and tied up, which he put into her hand. May you never wear heavier fetters than these, he said, having composed a little speech as he came along. What, she exclaimed, did you actually buy the chain after all? Well, I do despise you. Could you not see that the man was swindling you? He was not so bad as you think. I only gave him three pounds for the chain, and I believe it is worth as much as that i should think it cheap at thirty if you were pleased with it he added with homely tenderness oh you poor predestined victim to extortion exclaimed daphne looking at him with a serio-comic air such a man as you ought never to go about without a keeper however as you have been so good as to allow yourself to be fleeced for my sake i accept the chain with pleasure and will wear it as the badge of my future captivity she shot a swift side glance at gerald as she spoke curious to see how he took this direct allusion to the engagement which it had been her habit somewhat to ignore he was standing looking listlessly along the street interested neither in man nor woman but though he had an air of utter vacancy eyes that saw not ears that heard not daphne detected a quiver of lip and brow which showed her that the shot had gone home Sir vernon had gone to the museum to look at the pictures leaving the young people free to wander where they pleased until dinner-time they went up and down the arched ways looking at the shops and stalls the country people the dogs the cattle then turned aside from this busy thoroughfare where all the life and commerce of the canton seemed to have concentrated itself to explore the dusky cathedral where all was silence and coolness and repose there was one great disappointment for daphne the grand panoramic picture of the alps for which the minster Terrace is celebrated was not in on view to-day the mountains hid themselves behind a gauzy veil a warm vapor which thickened the air above the old city i can't think what i have done to offend the alps cried daphne petulantly they seem to bear a grudge against me they wouldn't show me their frosty paws at geneva and they won't at i am not going to break my heart about them however please let us get the cathedral over as fast as we can and go and look at the bears i am dying to see the live bears for i have seen so many inanimate ones in stone and wood and iron that i seem to have bears on the brain they were standing in the open square in front of the cathedral, looking up at the bronze statue of Rudolf von Erlach with the four seated bears at his base. They went into the church presently and admired the fifteenth century stained glass and sculpture pietas and the choir stalls. As they were leaving the church, they saw a man and a woman going quietly into the vestry, preceded by the minister in his black gown a wedding evidently whispered edgar to daphne wouldn't you like to see a swiss wedding do you think they are going to be married what a sober idea of matrimony i should have thought a swiss wedding would have been like a scene in an opera an inquiry of the verger proved that it was really a wedding so they all crept quietly into the spacious vestry and stood in the background while the priest tied the knot according to the calvinistic manner it was not a grandiose or thrilling ceremonial yet there was a certain sober earnestness in its very simplicity the rite shorn of all ornament was a religious rite performed with all the grave business-like straightforwardness of a civil agreement matrimony thus approached wore a somewhat appalling aspect no sweet harmony of boyish voices shrilling a bridal hymn no mighty organ exploding suddenly in the crashing chords of mendelssohn's wedding march only a man and woman standing before a priest in a naked stony vestry a priest who interrogated them coldly with his eyes on his book very much as if he had been hearing them their catechism the man had a dull indifferent look and there was that in the bearing and appearance of the doubly dressed woman which hinted that the marriage was an afterthought daphne shuddered as she came out of the sunless vestry that is not my idea of a quiet wedding she said please let us go to the bears i am dying to see something cheerful they went back to the crowded arcades the stalls the processional cattle and all the life and bustle of a monthly market and down the whole length of the street till they found themselves on a bridge that spanned a deep hollow between two hills on one side of the bridge they looked down into the cattle market where a multitude of blue blouses of every shade and tone from the vivid azure garment bought yesterday to the faded and patched coat of age and poverty mixed up with the brown and cream and roan and dun of the cows and oxen made a wonderful harmony in blues and browns on the other side there was a famous bear pit where half a dozen mangy-looking animals are maintained in a state of inglorious repose for the honor of the city the bear is not a handsome or a graceful beast nor does his woolly front beam with intelligence yet he has a look of ponderous benevolence a placid air of being nobody's enemy but his own which commends him to those who enjoy his acquaintance only at a distance he is fond of being fed and has an amiable greediness which brings him in direct sympathy with his patrons there is something childlike too and distinctly human in his love of buns to say nothing of his innate aptitude for dancing these qualities are liable to distract the judgment of his admirers who forget that at heart he is still a savage and that his hug is mortal Daphne had provided herself with a bag of cakes and immediately became on the friendliest terms with three ragged-looking bruins who were squatting on their haunches ready to receive the favors of an admiring public she would not believe a story of the english officer who fell into the den and was killed by these woolly monsters after a desperate fight for life i couldn't credit anything unkind of them she protested see how patiently that dear thing waits with his mouth wide open and how dexterously he catches a bit of roll even the delight of leaning upon a stone parapet to feed bears in a not too odoriferous den must come to an end at last and daphne having had enough of the national beasts consented to get into a roomy open carriage which gerald had found while she was dispensing her favors to the admiration of half a dozen country people who were leaning lazily against the parapet and wondering at the beauty of the two english girls in their cool delicate-hued raiment there was plenty to admire in the neighborhood of Bern, albeit the alps were in hiding and after a light luncheon at a confectioner's in one of the arcades they drove about till it was time to dress for dinner they started early on the next afternoon for thun and between Bern and thun the jungfrau first revealed herself in all her virginal beauty whiter purer than all the rest of the mountain world to daphne's delighted eyes never could she take her fill of gazing on that divine pinnacle that heaven-inspiring mount rising above a cluster of satellite hills like jupiter surrounded by his moons if you told me that on that very mountain-top moses saw god i should believe you cried daphne deeply moved i am sorry to say the pinnacle on which jehovah revealed himself to his chosen mouthpiece is a shabby affair in comparison with yonder peak a mere hillock of seven thousand feet or so said gerald looking up from the day before yesterday's times you have seen it i have stood on serbal and gebel musa and ras sassafat the three separate mountain tops which contend for the honor of having been trodden by the feet of the creator how delightful to have seen so much of the world and to have so little left in this world to see answered gerald there is always the reverse of the shield it will make it all the pleasanter for you to settle down at goring abbey said daphne assuming her most practical tone you will not be tormented by the idea of all the lovely spots of earth the wonderful rivers and forests and mountains which you have not seen as edgar and i must be at dear old hawksyard but we mean to travel immensely do we not edgar another distinct allusion to her coming life the near approaching time when she and edgar would be one the squire of hawksyard smiled delightedly at this recognition of the bond i am sure to do whatever you wish and go wherever you like he answered but i am tremendously fond of home one's own fireside don't you know and one's own stable and one's own china closet and one's own linen presses added daphne laughing and one's own jams and pickles and raspberry vinegar are not those things numbered among the delights of hawksyard but i mean you to take me to the amazon and when we have thoroughly done the andes we'll go over the isthmus of panama and across mexico and finish up with the rockies they are only a continuation of the same range don't you know the backbone of the two americas Edgar laughed as at an agreeable joke. But I mean it, protested Daphne, with her elbow resting on the ledge of the window and her eyes devouring the Yunfra. We are going to be a second Mr and Mrs. Brassy in the way of travelling mr turchill looked somewhat uncomfortable moved by the thought of a hunting-stable running to seed at home while he a wretched sailor at the best of times lay tossing in some southern archipelago all among dusky islanders and reduced to a fishy and vegetable diet if daphne were in earnest the sacrifice would have to be made upon that point he was certain never could he resist that capricious creature never could he deny her a pleasure or beat down her airy whims with the sledge-hammer of common sense i believe we shall be one of the most foolish couples in christendom he said aloud but i think we shall be one of the happiest a girl must be very hard-hearted who could not be happy with you edgar said Madeline, looking at him with a frank sisterly smile you are so thoroughly good and kind ah but goodness and kindness don't always score you know he replied with a laugh in which there was just a shade of sadness chapter twenty seven